Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Okay, it is 7 o'clock, or by that clock, it's 8 o'clock. Okay, it is Wednesday evening, January the 18th, 2023. Before we start, I want to say thank you for all the comments I've had about this class. I even had one guy said, thank you for all the work you're doing. It's interesting, I don't agree with everything you say. But that is perfectly fine. My goal is not to get you to agree with everything that I say. My goal is to get you to start thinking on your own, actually. Studying on your own, researching on your own, figuring out how to interpret the the book of Revelation so that it's not only applicable to the first century church, but also applicable to us as well. Okay, where is the lost ark? Okay, we've looked at, we've looked beneath the city of Jerusalem. We have looked at Rome. We have looked at Jeremiah taking it possibly to Mount Nebo or to Ireland or to France. Tonight we're going to look at the Knights Templar. Have you ever heard of those guys? They were formed in the 1100s in Jerusalem and made their headquarters on Temple Mount. They originally came from France to Jerusalem. What they wanted to do was to take Jerusalem away from the Muslims and put the Temple Mount under Christian control. Through all of their gold and silver and religious artifacts, they became a very wealthy group of people. So much so, they actually became bankers and made profit off their interest. While they were on Temple, while they controlled Temple Mount, they dug a lot of tunnels. I don't know how many tunnels, but probably most of the tunnels that are beneath Temple Mount, these guys actually actually dug them. Eventually, they were defeated, and they had to leave Jerusalem and go to a place called Acre, A-C-R-E, Israel. It's also known as Achan, A-K-O-N. The question is, did they take the ark with them if they found it? Did they find the ark while they were tunneling? And did they take it with them? If they did, then everybody they fought had a possibility of capturing the ark themselves. They fought Saladin, the Arab leader, the Crusaders from the Catholic Church, the knight, the knights, I can't say this word, yes, yes. Hospit, hospital. You want to say it's hospitalitors, but it's not hospitator. Somebody say it for me. Thank you. Okay. Hospitalers. Okay. The king of France was even mad at them. The king of France went around slaughtering them every chance he got. Did they actually find the ark? They probably dug more beneath Temple Mount than anybody else. If the ark was down there, they probably would have found it. 
eventually, during their heyday, they stretched their, their sphere of influence. They stretched all the way from the east coast of South America all the way over to the west coast of India and as far north as Great Britain. So if they had the ark and they hid it somewhere, the real question is where in the world, literally, where in the world did they hide it or did they ever have it in the first place? There is just so much information on the internet concerning the Knights Templar. There's just no way to, no way to get into it all really. I highly recommend you go read their history. It's really interesting. They 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 did a lot of things. They went a lot of places. They fought a lot of people. I don't think they got along with anybody. But that is very briefly, my mouse isn't working. That is very briefly the revelation characteristic for tonight. I've heard people say that some of the information that we've been talking about has been very interesting. We actually haven't gotten to the interesting part. The interesting part actually starts with starts tonight with chapter 7 and it just gets crazier as we go further. All the possibilities, all the topics that are touched on. Um, I've already mentioned to some people one of the topics we're actually going to talk about and we're going to see what Revelation says about it is ghost hauntings, like haunting an abandoned building. What does Revelation say about that? There's just lots and lots of topics that Revelation covers. And I thought I saw Paul Owen here a while ago. I guess he left. I was going to ask him for 26 more weeks. (laughs) Otherwise, there's no way we can cover all the topics. But that's going to be another example of a strange topic that uh, Revelation actually touches on. Tonight we're going to cover chapter seven. <clears throat> Excuse me, chapter seven. So, brother, brother Glenn, will you go ahead and read chapter seven for us, please? <clears throat> After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, say, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manassas, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, 
clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thank you. For just a few minutes, I need to review some material that we've already covered and add, and add a little bit of information to that. We talked about interpreting symbols. Last week, we had our first real symbol interpretation, and that was the four horsemen. I mentioned that when you interpret these symbols, you're going to have to interpret it within the context of Revelation, which means within the context of the definition of tribulation that Revelation gives us, not what we may assign to it ourselves. As well as who the villain of the book of Revelation is, who we will eventually prove. Also, you're going to have to interpret symbols within the time period of the writing of Revelation, which is the first century, and with the context of the first century history of the church. If you don't do that, then not only are you adding to and taking away from the book, but you're making, you're making Revelation not applicable, not only to the first century church, but you're making it not applicable to us as well. Now, there's going to be two exceptions to this rule, and we're going to hit them in chapters 17 and 20. But Revelation makes it very clear that this is something that's going to actually happen sometime in the future. The ten kings, as covered by Revelation chapter 17, is going to happen probably two or three hundred years into the future, but Revelation makes that clear. Also, in chapter 20, the thousand-year reign is going to be sometime sometime towards the end of the first century, possibly not starting until the beginning of the second century, sometime during that time period. So you're going to have a couple of symbols possibly that are outliers that may not fit that definition of interpreting symbols, but Revelation makes it clear that that's, that that's going to be the case. What did I do? Okay. Let's review just for a moment. You remember we, we, we talked about the four horsemen last week. Uh, there was one part of the fourth horse I did not cover. And, and that's, this was actually one of the more interesting, interesting points. Revelation chapter 6, verse 8 says, I look and behold 
a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given unto them over a fourth part of the earth. Okay, to kill with a sword, to kill with hunger, to kill with, they call it death, it's actually plague, and with the beast of the earth. I did not cover beast of the earth last week, and I forgot to. So let's cover that right quick. What is it poss- what, what, what is a possible explanation for the early Christians being killed by beasts of the earth? Yeah, that's, that's what I've always heard. Lions in the Colosseum. The Caesars would pick out people to be gladiators in the, the Roman Colosseums. The Roman Colosseum. And they would fight wild animals. The more I research that, the more I'm wondering if that's actually accurate. I, it's, it's being treated like a myth by archaeologists and historians because they're not sure if, that, if, they, if Christians were actually targeted to be gladiators in the arena or if it just they were just part of the population so they were candidate for being, for being drafted. Historians are saying that they really can't prove necessarily that a Caesar actually targeted the Christians to actually go into the arena. Now that's going to be a good homework assignment for you. Go ahead and research that yourself and let me know what you find. What I found was they weren't sure. Obviously, some Christians died in the arena, okay, just because they were Roman citizens and they were probably drafted and chosen. But did any of the Caesars actually target the church to be gladiators? That's the part I'm not sure about. So go find the answer, come back and educate me on that, okay? Because I can't find the answer. I am saying that the, the let me go back up. The person writing gives, is being given the ability to kill four ways, with a sword, with hunger, with plague, and with a beast of the earth. And my question is, what is beast of the earth? What does that mean? Does it mean the Colosseum, or does it mean something different? Did the Caesars actually specifically go look for Christians to go into the arena? Or were they just drafted because they were Roman citizens? Did the Caesars actually go after Christians to be gladiators? And that's the answer I could not find. Does that make sense? He's thinking about it. Okay. I don't know the answer to that, so if y'all can research that and let me know, that'd be great. Because the, the the historical writings that I the historians that I've read said that they're not sure. Okay, when I when I teach when I taught Revelation before, I had a a slide deck of ninety five slides of introduction material. I decided not to do that this time, but. There is some material from those introductions that I do need to cover tonight. And that is numerology. Revelation uses numbers. Numerology is the study of the usage of numbers. And numbers are critical 
to the book of Revelation. It actually helps us understand better what it's saying. But it's, numbers are not just, they're not just used by Revelation. We use, we use numbers all the time. We're number one. Unfortunately, Alabama fans can't say that this year, but maybe next year. Auburn fans can't either, although Gus Malzahn had UCF ranked as high as number 22 in the nation. They shouldn't have gotten rid of him. Lucky 7, unlucky 13. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. How many of you have said that? Yeah. How many of you have had your parents tell you that? Yes. Now, Revelation doesn't just use numbers. It likes to multiply numbers together. You say, okay, Bruce, you're, that's a little bit of a stretch. Well, actually, no, it's not. Jesus himself multiplied two numbers together one time to mean many of something. When did he multiply two numbers together? I'm sorry, what? Yeah. How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. Multiplication in the Bible usually means many of something. And in the book of Revelation, that is exactly what it means. When we run across the number four, that's usually earth-centered. The winds, the compass directions, uh, even the beasts that are around the throne, there are four of them. One looks like a lion, like a calf, a man, an eagle. Those are earth-based. The number seven ends up being completeness and usually has some type of religious implications. God rested on the seventh day. The Passover lasted seven days. There's a famine every seven years. Leviticus 4, 6, this is an interesting one that I ran across one day. The priest sprinkles blood, I misspelled that, blood on the Ark of the Covenant seven times. On Jericho, to, to defeat Jericho, the Hebrews marched around the wall seven times, seven days. And on the seventh day, they, they marched around it seven times. Naaman was told to dip in the River Jordan seven times. We're going to see seven all over the book of Revelation. It means complete, perfect, and usually has some type of religious implications. The number 10 just means complete or whole. 12 is interesting. 12 usually has something to do with God's people. God is identifying his people or he's talking about his people. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. The 12 tribes plus the 12 apostles, that's one of the theories as to why there's 24 elders around the throne. Now, when I say elders, I'm not talking about elders of the church. These are elders as in senior members, representing possibly wisdom. If you look at 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, that's God's wisdom on how he's going to reconcile us back to him. Now in chapter 7, as was just read, we have 12,000 from each tribe from each tribe that God seals and identifies as his people. That's 12 times 1,000. You're multiplying by 1,000 to mean many. And then you've got 12 of those because you have 12 tribes. There you've got your, your number 144,000. 42. 42. 1260 time, times, and a half time in three and a half years are all the same amount of time. 42 months is 1260 days. Time, times, and a half is three, three and a half. And then three and a half years. If you go look in the book of Daniel, as well as Revelation, you're going to find that this number is usually repre- representative of 
some type of unstable time. Maybe slavery, usually persecution in the first in in, in Revelation. It's probably persecution. Do you remember the verse uh, in chapter twelve we covered? Chapter twelve, verse fourteen. It says, "Then the woman was given wings to." fly off to a sanctuary somewhere for three and a half years, that's another situation where there's persecution. Of course, we already talked about 1,000 being many. Okay, let's look at, very quickly, an outline of the book of of Revelation, chapter 7. Verses 1 through 3, it looks like something big is about to happen. And indeed it is. What's big, what big is about to happen is chapters 8 and 9. The four, four angels are at the four corners of the earth holding back the wind saying, nothing hurts anything until God seals his people, before, until God actually identifies his people. You have verses 4 through 8, God symbolically identifies his people with 144,000. Now the Jehovah's Witnesses claim that only 144,000 people are going to go to heaven. If that's the truth, then we may as well lock up and sell the building and split the profits. There's no reason to be here because there have certainly been at least 144,000 people who have lived in the history of the world who are going to go to heaven. Yeah. They also have another doctrine, too, that says if you're not part of the 144,000, you can do one of two things, and the choice is actually yours. You can either stay on earth or you can just cease to exist. Now, there are other religious groups in the Middle East that actually have that doctrine as well. You just, you just disappear. You, do, you cease to exist. But with, with the Jehovah's Witness, you actually have a choice of ceasing to exist, or just staying on earth. Chapter 7, verse 9, we have a great multitude in heaven that no one can number. Palm leaves are in their hands, meaning they are at peace. Verses 10 through 12, we have a worship scene in heaven. Then chapter, then verses 13 through 14, we've already covered this. These are, this is the saints from the tribulation. This is where we got part of our definition for the tribulation. And the question really comes up several times. This altar that is before God, the saints are beneath it. That The souls of the saints murdered in the tribulation are beneath it. It doesn't look like they have free reign of heaven. They're, they're in that spot. They're always there throughout the book of Revelation. Is that possibly where paradise is? Don't know the answer to that, but we have something coming up um, in a later chapter that implies that Revelation is going to talk about torment. If, if it's talking about torment in a later chapter, it would be interesting to know if this is where paradise is. Let Revelation interpret itself, right? And then look at the outside, the rest of the scripture. And also based upon thus far, you know, this being a a story that unfolds. How much of, you know, the scene with the people under the altar could we take as far as that being, I say, a reality for the slain in Christ, at least how it's said, or 
you know, yeah. for, for us at this point. Yeah. How many of the scenes in the book of Revelation can you take literally? Um, I'll answer your question with a question. I mentioned, I guess, the first class that I wanted you to study hard and memorize the story of the rich man and Lazarus. How much of that can we take literally? The question is, not, in, not entirely sure, but there's no reason to tell us that if it wasn't true. If it wasn't at least true in principle. That's, that's probably the best I'm going to be able to answer. When we get to heaven, we'll find out. Now, these souls beneath the altar, are they really there? I don't know why he would, I don't know why God would tell us that if it actually wasn't true or the principle of it wasn't true. Of course, keep in mind, they're, they're telling stories about heaven, something that's spiritual and trying to put it in physical, in physical language. Personally, I take it, I take it. I take it at face value. If, if it says there's souls beneath the altar, I'm willing to accept that. I don't understand it. I don't understand how you get from the spiritual into physical descriptions. But to me, if, if, if he says there's souls under the altar, I'm willing to accept that. I can't prove it. I'm just having to take it for, for, for face value. Just like we do the rich man in Lazarus. If it's not literal then at least the principle is true. Yeah, I, I know that didn't answer your question. I'm sorry. But uh, that, that's the best I can do. We, we have that problem other places as well in the Bible, not just Revelation. I tend to accept it as, as literal. If, if he says there's souls under the altar before the throne of God, I'll take it. I'll take it at face value and, and say, yes, it is. Uh oh, what's going to happen after the 144,000 go to heaven? The new heaven and the new earth, they're going to replace the new earth, and the Lamb will lay down the line. Blah, 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 blah. They're going to replenish the earth, really? Oh, that's interesting. <coughs> will there be any death? No death. They're going to fill up the earth. That's interesting. Yeah, there's, there's, there's lots, of, lots of strange, lots of strange doctrines in people's minds when it comes to the book of Revelation. I believe you're the one that told me that you heard a guy say one time that the four horsemen, the four colors, is actually represent skin color. White, red, black, and pale. People get crazy. People get crazy. That's for sure. Okay. Um, okay. Let's... Um, Let's get to the strange part. Okay, this is Revelation, okay? And we're in chapter 7. It's just going to get kind of strange from here on out. And chapter 7 gives us a good start. There is something in chapter 7 that I do not know the answer to. I'm going to give you the evidence, and I'm going to let you decide for yourself. I do not know the answer. I'm not even going to hazard a guess, but there's something very strange that might be occurring just outside of the walls of heaven this very moment. And by the way, you can't use this here at West Huntsville because everybody's already heard it, but this is a great, this is a great Wednesday evening Devo. 
So if you're at another congregation or you're with a ladies group at a youth youth rally, youth group, this is a wonderful depot, okay? Now, chapter 7 implies there's something very strange possibly occurring just outside of the walls of heaven. Now, we need to read a verse out of Revelation chapter 21, but before we do, I'm going to tell you what 21's got for us. We have John seeing this coming down from quote-unquote heaven. The book of Revelation is quite challenging when, it, when the book of Revelation talks about the word heaven. Sometimes it means the abode of God. Sometimes it means the sky. Because the book of Revelation occurs beneath the earth, on the earth, in the sky, and in heaven. Four places. The problem is the Greek word is the same across the board. So, you're, so to know if it's heaven or the sky is going to be contextual. You're going to have to look at the context and see if you can figure it out. There's some places you just kind of scratch your head and you're like, oh, I'm not sure about that. In this case, it says the new Jerusalem was coming out of heaven. Is that heaven or is that the sky? If you will read down, stop it. If you read down further in chapter 21, you're going to read a couple of characteristics of this new Jerusalem that can only be applied to heaven, not the church. So apparently this is heaven. Now, I'd like to read a, a short description for it and see if you can find the problem or the, or the issue or something strange happening. Revelation chapter 21, verses 10 through 14. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. It had a wall, it had a wall great and high and had 12 gates. At the gates, 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east gate, three, on the east wall, three gates on the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in their names, and in them, the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Did you see it? Did you see the possible issue? Based upon our reading just now of chapter 7, chapter 7 implies that two names are missing above the gates of heaven right this very moment. Gone, omitted, not there. So, just for the time remaining, there's three questions. And this, you can use this in a Devo and actually have an invitation stuck on the end to it as well. It works out really well. We're going to look at three questions in the next 15 minutes. What, tribe, what land-owning tribes are missing, possibly, from the gates of heaven? Number two, why are they missing? And number three, what does that have to do with me? 
First of all, which tribes are missing? Here's verses 5 through 8. Who's missing? Okay. Uh, yep, y'all got the right, you right answers. Uh, the, the tribes that are missing are the tribes of Dan and Ephraim. Now, some people claim that Joseph is listed there to represent his two sons. Well, that doesn't exactly work out. We do have Joseph. Let me get my handy-dandy marker. We do have Joseph right down here. But he doesn't represent his two sons. Can't be, because Manasseh Manasseh is the third name in the sixth verse. So that, that shoots that theory down. Why are these two tribes missing? The answer is actually very, very simple. The answer is nobody knows. That makes my... Hey, we're, we're done 10 minutes early. All right. No one knows for sure. But that, but that being the case... I would like to offer some, some possible evidence to you for you to consider. Ephraim and Dan are absolutely hammered. They are blasted in the Old Testament for, among other things, their idolatry. Ephraim, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 15, Hosea chapter 4, verse 7, Hosea chapter 5, verses 9 and 11. Hosea chapter 7, 1 through 16. Hosea chapter 13, 1 through 3. Hosea nails Ephraim. And it's because of their idolatry. Now I read on a, on a report concerning the tribe of Ephraim. In the northern kingdom, they were one of the largest tribes, if not the largest tribes. And they sort of led the other nine. The, the other nine tribes sort of looked to Ephraim for guidance. Now, God told the, the children of Israel, when you go into that land, they say, you destroy everything and everybody. Because if you don't, two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to intermarry, and you're going to bring those idols into your, into your marriage, and you're going to worship those idols. And number two, you're not going to follow me anymore. And sure enough, that's what happened, especially with Dan. Now, the tribe of Dan, 2 Kings Chapter 10, verse 29. Judges, chapter 18, verse 30. Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse 15. Amos, chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. All that talks about is the idolatry of Dan. Now, do you remember remember this picture? I took a picture of this. I took a picture of of, uh, Glenn's slide the same way I took a picture of Mark Bailey's slide. This is the altar at Dan. You remember when uh, when Brother Glenn came and preached in his, his 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 jump jacket because his connecting flights didn't exactly connect. This was one of the sites in Dan. I think the city of Dan, where who was who was the who was the king Jeroboam? Jeroboam put altars there. Dan was so synonymous with idolatry that his name actually changed 
within the confines of the tribes from a proper noun to an adjective. You know how back, some of you may remember this, some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. When you were little and somebody, somebody betrayed you or was a treason, or you would always call him a Benedict Arnold, right? Well, that's what happened with the, with the name Dan. With the other tribes, if they saw somebody walking down the street who was an idol worshiper, they say, oh, there, there is a Dan. That is how, that is how synonymous that, that, that tribe was to idol worship. Um, they accepted Micah's idols. They had golden calves from Jeroboam. Apparently, the Dan continued this idolatry until the Syrian Empire captured them and took them into captivity in 722 BC. Is it possible? Is it possible that Dan and Ephraim are left out of this list because they are so synonymous with idol worship that they they left God and now they are following idols? And were they left out? intentionally from this list in chapter 7 because of that. And since we have the new Jerusalem coming down from the sky and John sees it and he says there's 12, there's 12 gates, one on the north wall, one on the south, one on the east and one on the west. And each one of those gates have a name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Could it be that Ephraim and Dan are not listed there? Don't know. Interesting speculation. That is one example of of a verse in one chapter of Revelation having a direct impact or a direct correlation with another verse in another chapter. So someone tell me, is Dan and Ephraim's name not on the wall wall of heaven? What do you think? Is it possible? Is it probable? Did God just forget about them and should have put their names in there, but it just slipped up? Oh, okay. So Jacob passed over. I have to repeat that for the internet because they can't hear you. Uh, So Joseph passed over Ephraim I'm sorry, Jacob, I said Joseph, yeah. Jacob over, stepped over Ephraim for Manasseh. That's interesting. We reckon that was a prophecy in the works. So Ephraim would so Ephraim would be the largest and would lead. Okay. So did that mean was what Jacob did, does that have Joseph? Is what Joseph did wait. I'm getting Jacob and Joseph mixed up here. 
Okay. So Jacob. Oh, I see. Joseph. Okay. Joseph got it. Got it. What we consider right. And Jacob crossed it. Okay. What does it say about Dan? viper that bites the horse's heel that would throw his rider. Is that is that a prophecy of what's going to happen? Of what's coming up? I don't know. The evidence I don't know if the evidence proves it proves that Dan and Ephraim are not on the gate of heaven on a gate of heaven but the evidence sure is sure doesn't look good for them. I guess that's something we'll never know until we get till we get to heaven. Well, um, hold, hold me a seat in heaven. I'm going to walk around the wall and find out because that that is that is quite intriguing. If they have a name on one of the gates, if they have their names on one of the gates, then why does Revelation leave them out? Why does Revelation omit them? See these, see, these lessons get kind of strange, don't they? How many of you have ever, have ever heard that, that lesson before? About a few people, okay. okay. I, uh, I don't remember the first time I actually, actually heard it. I don't think I ever actually did hear it. I've, I was just playing around with, with the list one time and realized, hold it, there's two people missing here. Why? And then I went, started researching and finding all these verses in the Old Testament and all this history about these two tribes and all the problems they caused. And the more you research it, the more you, you can't help but come to the conclusion there is a very high probability that they do not have their name above their gate going into heaven. I guess it's, I guess, taking their place is, I guess, Joseph. Let's see. We've got Joseph, and we also have Levi. You've got Levi, who is not a tribe, a landowning tribe. All the rest of these are landowners, right? Let me erase that so you can see it. Even Benjamin is a landowner. Simeon didn't really own land. Okay. So he just owned cities, did you say? Within greater Judah, Simeon owned cities. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Judah is listed first, that is. Well, Judah is listed back in uh, chapter 1, is it? The Lion of the tribe of Judah. Yep. Interesting list, that's for sure. But Simeon may not have owned a plot of land, but he 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 occupied space inside of others. Yeah, yeah. 
Pearl, Dan, and Ephraim. And then, what, what does this have to do with me? Okay, we have 12 tribes. We have 12 apostles. We have 24 elders sitting around the throne of God. The 12, I would argue, the 12 most important entities or identities in the Old and New Testament because it was through the 12 tribes that the Messiah was going to come and to reconcile us back to God and it was through the 12 apostles that that message was going to get out for the first time. But two of the 24 most important names in the Bible are missing in the book of Revelation. If those two names are missing from the book of Revelation, if God holds them accountable, I'm not going to get away with anything. If I don't walk in the light as He is in the light, there's our memory verse again. If I don't walk in the light as He is in the light, I'm in heap big trouble. I have to walk in the light. If He holds Dan and Ephraim accountable, oh, He's going to hold me accountable too because my name is nothing like Dan and Ephraim. You think, uh, you think, oh, God will understand, okay? I'm not perfect. I, 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 I want to do this over here, or I don't want to do that. God will understand. No, no problem, right? Yeah, go ask Dan and Ephraim how well that worked out for them. They not only got, got led off into captivity, they got their names left out of the book of Revelation, and possibly off of their gate going into heaven. If they didn't get away from it, if they didn't get away with it, there's no way I'm going to. And then when that's your Devo, then you offer an invitation or whatever, or you know. It makes a pretty interesting little Devo, though, you gotta admit. Because you don't hear that very often. You don't hear this this, this lesson very often, if at all. Any more comments? Next week. Next week we'll have chapters 8 and 9. I do not know if we will get through chapters 8 and 9 next week. If we do, then we'll have that video the following week. If not, then we'll have our archaeological video one, two, three weeks from now. But we just have to play that by ear. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.